retired supervisory board patrol agent Teresa Truex, former Valenzuela, a.k.a. Cantal Emmy Lady, from the class of 156, and you're listening to the Old Patrol Headquarters podcast. Honor first, mean green, and I'll always love the patrol. Greetings and welcome to episode 13 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, with a few shenanigans along the way. Today, in honor of our 45th anniversary of women coming into the patrol, we will be talking with retired Supervisory Border Patrol agent Teresa Truax, otherwise known as Milady. She started in Class 156. I met and worked with her at the El Cajon Station. I had no idea the things she saw and experienced as the first female agent at the Campo Station. She says her experiences molded and shaped who she is today. How? Come listen to her story. This old patroller is a true game changer and a badass five percenter. Ain't no patrol like the old patrol. Greetings, my lady, and welcome to the Old Patrol HQ podcast. Hi, Gil. It's good talking to you today. You too. I know you're busy in the middle of a move and all that that's going on, but um, you know this year, this um, month is the 45th anniversary of women joining the patrol. Uh, starting since 1975. So in honor of that, we've been interviewing uh, past and present Border Patrol females, uh, agents in the, you know, in the patrol. And so today we're interviewing you. And I'd like to start out by asking you, you know, how did you originally get started in the patrol? Well, my father was a uh, police officer and, and uh, all my life. 24, 27 years in LA and or Los Angeles mm-hmm. and San Bernardino, and so I had three brothers and we're all nine months apart. And my home life was surrounded by being around police officers. So in 1981, I, I was a single female was a single female with a daughter mm-hmm. and I start the I saw something that they were hiring females for the Border Patrol and the CHP California Highway Patrol so I decided I would try both of them because I've always had an interest in law enforcement okay. I also was a volunteer at the Chula Vista uh, Reserve volunteer at the Chula Vista Police Department. And how long did you do that? I did that for about two years. Okay. And during that time, I also, we would also work with Border Patrol, so I did get to see a little bit about what Border Patrol did. Okay, and so uh, when, when you put in for Border Patrol, how long before you went, you, you went to the academy? me probably a year and a half or two years I had to go through interviews twice um, I felt the eye test but luckily I had just had my eyes examined for my own um, personal 
doctor, and which I had passed. So I just turned that in, and then they sent me in for my second interview. What was funny about the interviews is I was asked um, during the second one that since I'm a single woman, how would it be for me to work with these men? Huh. Which I know now they can't ask those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what did you say? I said, I, you know, my dad was a cop. I have three brothers. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, you weren't. I was very naive. I have to say, I was very naive when I came into patrol. I always felt that part of coming into the patrol or going into law enforcement, I always thought I was like coming home. Like um, these would become my friends and, you know, we would hang out and go camping and shooting together like I did as a child. Uh. And? And so I went through those interviews, which I passed, and I had to go buy my uniform and my gun belt and every all the equipment, and then I was sent to Glencoe, Georgia, where I had to find a sitter for my daughter to take care of her during that time. So during the day, she uh, you had to have her watch. Uh, you had somebody watch her while you went through the academy. No, I lived in Coronado, California. So my mother moved in and took care of my daughter while I went to Glencoe, Georgia, for four months. Oh, okay, okay. And you you had to buy your own uh, your own gun rig and your and and all that stuff before you went to the academy yourself. Yes. Out of your own pocket. Out of my own pocket. Oh, and uh, where did you end up buying it from? Do you remember? I bought the uniform I remember buying from, um, oh, that guy downtown, Albertsons. Uh, and what was funny is they did not make women's uniforms. We had to wear men's uniforms. <laughs> and we didn't have women's boots back then. We had to wear men's boots. Oh, okay. We didn't have the tennis shoe type. We had the military boots, but they didn't make women's at that time. And we didn't have vest. We never, we didn't get our vest till uh, the Border Patrol issued them. And I can't even remember when that was. That was until what the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, so you you went you went a pr a good long time without a vest then, because you came in in '83, right? Correct. Class one five six. Correct. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a different ball game. Yes, it was very expensive to go to Glencoe, Georgia, because you had to pay for everything. Um, they did pay for your flight. Um, I still had bills to pay. Yeah. Um. And it was different for me. I had never been really away from my daughter. So, um, I was not, well, I'm overweight now, but I was not, how's this? I went in as a 10, size 10, and I came back as a size 4. Oh my gosh, seriously. 
I was good. (laughs) (laughs) Never again, but I did run eight miles a day, but I didn't start off that way. Yeah. That was all the training. And we did have, um, I didn't speak Spanish at all. So that was my struggle during the academy. That was the hardest part for you? For me, yes. PT was the second, then shooting. Immigration law was no problem. Mm. Yeah. And then they all, all the other little courses. And I, I studied a lot. I wasn't a partier till uh, the last month. <laughs> and uh, how many other females were there with you? I had eight others in my class. Besides you? Besides myself included. Okay. And only, I think, four of us graduated. Wow. One, yeah. One went into a mental asylum. Uh, one cheated, who was a Spanish speak, native speaker. Um, one failed the PT. Sherry Film is another person I'd like to get an interview with. With uh, I've uh, heard a lot about her as well. So she died. Oh, did she? Yes, many years ago. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, what can you do? God bless her. Um, so then uh, you ended up graduating the academy. Yes. And uh, then you reported to what was your first duty station? All right. You and I had a good conversation uh, the other day talking about, you know, your experience at Campo. And it wasn't your typical experience, I have to say. I, I love it when you said to me, do you want the, do you want the, you know, it, I was, uh, it was an honor to work and to work with everybody uh, speech or do you want the, what actually happened in speech? And, the you know, truth. <laughs> yeah, or the truth. So, so tell me about your experience showing up at Campo as the first female agent there. Well, as the first female agent, I found out that all the wives had gone to the chief and asked for me not to be allowed to come work with their husbands. So I was sent, probably in the second week I was there, to a luncheon with all the wives. And, uh... Being a size four didn't help. Well, it did, well, yeah, I was good. (laughs) But I did open my mouth and say, have you guys looked at your husbands? I live in Coronado. I have those bodies to look at every day. (laughs) Yes, I made friends really quick or I made enemies really quick. So you had to go over there and kind of uh, calm their fears. I don't know what, there were a lot of things I had to do that, I look back and go, um, it was different. It was totally different than now. You know, I know one thing they were proud of. They had changed the um, 
holding cell into a, my yellow bathroom. It was the first female bathroom. Ah. And uh, my name was Teresa Valenzuela at that time. I kept my name until 1990 when my daughter graduated from high school mm-hmm. and went back to my maiden name, Truex. Oh, okay. Um, I was Charlie 26, which included the three Boulevard residents. We did not have a Boulevard station. It was just um, Campo, which covered Otay Lakes to Incapa uh-huh. and South Mexico to Pine Valley and Alpine. Um, I was, uh, I remember my first day out was with, a an agent who took me to, uh, we drove up to the water tanks in Takati and there was an agent in a sedan, passed out drunk with his gun belt open. Oh, wow. oh man. And... I guess he had been, I, I know he's dead, but he had been caught going eastbound, the westbound, eight, drunk, several times. I can't remember his name, but I, I'll always remember that being my first day. And you said this was an agent that, that was driving the wrong way, drunk. Yes, but the, I think that was off-duty. This was No, my, right, right. Yeah, but my impression was... That first day at the water tanks, driving up there and him passed out drunk with a newspaper over his head, his gun belt undone, and he was, I was never allowed to ride with him. Mm. So that was my first impression. Second was seeing all the wives. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And... Every day, my PAIC would ask me how my sex life was, Valenzuela. Really? Every day. And what, uh, would, what would you say? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you're in a position. Yeah. What are you going to say? Where you want this job, and you're just, you're like in shock. I guess you're in shock just trying to study for Spanish, be a mother, be an agent. Uh, work with strangers, um, do a job you've never done before or even expected. Um, it was a whole complete change of life. Plus, I was driving back and forth from Campo to Coronado because I wanted my daughter to have that kind of, um, you know... Uh, Just li- you know, lifestyle, life experience? Lifestyle. I wanted to be raised in one place. Because they had a good system. Campo didn't have much back then. Yeah. Yeah, it was totally dead. But I loved the work. I loved climbing mountains. I loved laying in the bushes. I loved um, a lot of the things. But uh, it's amazing how many... As life has gone on, I've gone to retirement parties where I've sat with those same people in the beginning to find out how much they really aided a woman coming in. <laughs> really? Yes, to this day. I'm just talking two years ago. Wow. So I'm like, um, it was old, old school. 
1964, the first female uh, Los Angeles police officer was hired. And I remember my stepmother having a fit hmm. that she was going to be working with my dad. So it was kind of weird. But my, my biggest thing that my biggest support was my father through the academy when I wanted to come home, when I hated it. Um, he kept me going. He kept sticking, you know, told me to stick to it. Um, you know, it's a good profession. Just stick it out. Just stick it out. Yeah. And, um, and I do want to ask you about the work out there, but, you know, you talked about a few other experiences basically in the atmosphere of the station that was going on also, right, that you were experiencing because you were a female agent? Well, there were, being a female, um, I'd be, sometimes I'd be out in the field and with another agent and they would take off and leave me all alone when I'm a trainee. Um, but then I worked with some really good guys mm -hmm. who, uh, really throughout my career, I was continued to be friends with them and I'll always respect them highly. Yeah. One of the best parts of the job. And, and that's why you have to, with all the crap being a first female and, you know, going through those little, uh, how could you say it, uh, childish things. Um, I always had, not so much I could talk to them about this stuff, because I had no one to talk to during, at that time, but who educated me on the job, how to work groups, uh, what was the best tactics, um, that they were great for. Do you remember who some of your, uh, one of those early journeymen were for you? Uh, Teddy Hampton, ah. <laughs> uh, Daryl Griffin, um, Deer Cop, Chuck, yeah. um, um, Spanky, Hayden, Jim Hayden, um, Ed Gerber, uh, trying to think of my favorites now, my, the good guys, uh, John Thomas was good, nice to me. Um, oh, Wedge Miller, yeah. Wedge, Wedge taught me tracking and, you know, just amazing, amazing person, agent he was. Um, yeah, so I can't think of it, I'm, trying to, I'm going through the list going, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, that's okay, that's okay, I, I wanted, you know, I just wanted to hear a few, uh, you know, some of those guys are pretty, you know, uh, Deer Cup's well known. Uh, as a as a as a you know, one of the best sign cutters there in Campo, and of course uh, Daryl Griffin went on to become chief of San Diego sector, and so uh, quite a few uh, uh, good guys in there, uh, and uh, yeah, and so you know you had to overcome a lot of the you know like I said we talked about it in detail, but I guess there's no really point in bringing a lot of that up, but there was a lot of stuff going on, it made it difficult for you, you had to overcome a lot of that stuff, but you enjoyed the work. Tell me a little bit about that, you know, like. Uh, you know, did you experience some close calls? You know, what was your, you know, your first big, you know, bust of people or bodies? You know, do you got any good war stories? Well, I was reminded by uh, Teddy Hampton about the group of 150 that I cut. Because I do remember when I was first uh, an agent, the first 
year, um, I would have, if I would say, oh, there's um, 100, then they would, someone would come and mock if it was 89. I, nothing I ever said was correct. Yeah. Right? I was like bullied on that. But then there was a, what I learned to do is say, there's a group of 10 plus. So 10 plus can mean 100, 200, <laughs> but I had a group of 150 that um, we contacted everyone and they all came out and helped work it. And they ended up, they were loading up on the Interstate 8 into a bunch of U-Hauls. Mm -hmm. That was, and Teddy Hampton just reminded me of that because I had forgotten it. And my other good group was uh, in Protero, Potrero, and um, which I loved working Potrero. I loved working Barrett um, Lake, um, but there there was a group. And what was so funny there, they had never most of these men, and we had a lot of Oaxacans, but they had never seen a female. So they would line up and want me to pat them all down before they got <laughs> on the bus. Oh man. That was a regular. I was doing pat-downs for, you know, uh, a lot of... Because they wanted me to pat them down. It's just uh, funny how you look back at it. Yeah. Pac-Man and all, huh? Yep, I was a good pat-down pat person now. <laughs> but those were... And then we always worked large groups. Our groups weren't small. Yeah. We, to us, a large group is over 100. We didn't have six... And, you know, we didn't have 20s. We always, we had large groups, always. Yeah, and that was on a regular um, basis out there. Right, and we didn't have, um, like I said, we worked everything from, ink, well, mainly um, the residents took over Incapa, and they we were getting hit hard with uh, Tierra del Sol with drugs. That, that was a lot of things. We didn't have a fence, that's another thing. Yeah. Back then. We just had barbed wire. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I remember too. Yeah, I, rem I remember when uh, you know drive-throughs from uh, Bell Valley on you know east were just common. Yeah, but that happened after the fence was built. Yeah. The wall or the um, landing mat. The landing mats were built. We didn't have them before. When I came in, we did not have any. We just had the. In fact, it was fun learning where Mexico was and where the United States was when you worked out there. Lines got a little blurred every now and then? Uh, not for me, but there were many. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. It was almost, uh, you know, it was almost like fun to see who did it. Or <laughs> it was, You know what was fun about patrols finding... Everyone had a different personality. Yeah. So sometimes people did some weird stuff. <laughs> you remember You remember any of them? I remember, uh, I could even tell you his name, twirling a, a, a shotgun at the Takati port of entry, like a baton. Yeah. In front of everyone. <laughs> tell me it didn't go off. No, but I mean... It, it was complained about. How's that? Yeah, well, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But we we got along with all the uh, locals pretty good. You know, they uh, the one the biggest
biggest complaint was to close the gate behind you. Yeah. Close the because gate. Because they had cattle. I remember uh, one good, one fun time was uh, we had to wrangle all these cows. They were on the 94, Highway 94. Cows and llamas. So we're out there trying to herd them on foot. And most of our times we're on foot. You really didn't do a, you know, sometimes you just didn't have a vehicle, so they'd just drop you off. Yeah, I had heard about that. Yeah, so I loved uh, tracking. I loved uh, just working alone. Um, I guess you learn to, um, I don't know, you get confidence or something. I don't know if it's a stupidity or confidence. But I think it's a little mixture of both, right? Because... There's a police. There's actual police that will that will hear you talk about how you were out there tracking, you know, 10, 15, 25 bodies or, or more, or hundreds like you did in the middle of, in the middle of the night by yourself in the middle of nowhere, and they're like, "Nah, that's crazy." Right. Well, we always worked. I don't. I'm trying to think when we started working in pairs. Wasn't that in the nineties or? late 90s well all i remember the only time i remember that they you know it was mostly by ourselves and then when uh, robert rosas uh, got killed that's when we started really i mean they cracked down on writing in paris for the longest time okay um, and that was after i retired yes and be- but before that i think we had gone through some kind of major uh gasoline snafu where somebody said we you know we're out of vehicles and out of gas and so right then we, say, right yeah yeah, I remember that too. We always had, there was always something going on different, you know, where legislation or the Ninth Circuit Court has changed something on how we do things. And we didn't have the equipment like they have now. We didn't have, I think we had maybe 15 sensors that took all of that area. Mm-hmm. And of course, you always made sure they were in the areas, you know, you knew about. Uh, Tierra del Sol, you knew about uh, different areas. The pink house, I always liked the pink house. It's a, it's a big pink house. I'm trying, I can't remember the name of the road. But a sensor would go off, and I remember getting out and parking my vehicle on 94, and I get out, and it's rattlesnake season. So I get out with no light, turned off, turned down my radio, and plus you can't, when you go down this canyon, you have no communication. And I go down there, and I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm listening for, because usually they come running down, and then you jump out and grab them. Yep. So I'm laying there, and laying there, and I'm like, God, this is taking a long time, right? And then I called dispatch, and I said, how long ago did that go off? And they said, oh... It's way over time. So then all of a sudden, I have I, I hear like snakes near me, right? And I'm going, oh shit, there's a rattler. And all of a sudden, someone goes, hola. <laughs> and they were laying next to me. Oh my gosh. And all I went is I yelled at them, I thought you were a damn snake. <laughs> <laughs> and they just laughed and I loaded them up and it was time to go. We didn't really have a lot of runners back then. Yeah, I remember that in the beginning. It was, there was a lot of guys that ran until much <laughs> later. Yeah, but before, they'd just line up and you'd 
you knew what you were chasing. If, if they were really fast, they were Oaxacans. Uh, we didn't have a lot of OTMs in, out in Campo at that time, mm. other than Mexicans. Um, that was more when I went to Chew that we ended up getting a lot of them or enter towards the San Ysidro Port of Entry. The Port of Entry was uh, Takati Port of Entry, and that was only, um, it was closed, I think, at 9 or 10. Yeah. So, it wasn't like we worried about that. Well, one person would always be there, so the rest of us were out in the field. And then there'd be three of us working the whole midnight shift. And one would go to Otai, one would, or Marone Valley. One would take Takati, and one would take out near uh, 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 Terra del Sol. So just and that was three it. of you all, three of you all night. Yep, wow. on that shift. <laughs> well, because you remember, you have a PIC who was on days, yeah. an APIC who's on days, a soup on days. So that's three of your people. <laughs> yeah. And the Boulevard residents all work days. Um, so that's. Six. <laughs> yeah, but that's just incredible, right? That you, that literally that's how it worked back then. Right now, you know, uh, we, we complain when we when we muster, you know, 12, 14, 15 people to cover that same area, and you guys, uh, three of you, were doing it back in the day, uh, just uh, all night long, just all by yourselves. Right, and I think that, but there was another thing. We everything was bust. We had the bus come pick up everyone. Yeah, and I'm like going. I remember we would process, and we didn't have, um, we had the type, the old typewriters. We didn't have computers back then. Um, everything was carbon paper. So if you made a mistake, you had to start all over. And uh, that was a nightmare. Yeah. And you would process. You could get a big group, and you'd be there two days later still processing. I remember you that. You didn't get to go home. Yeah. Yeah, you you had the, the if you started a case, you had to finish it. And well, everyone meant, chipped in, but you were still, yeah. you still, right. I mean, when you get that many people, you had a lot of processing to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing, pulling doubles and, you know, going home for eight hours and coming back the next shift and continuing where I left off. Right. I remember just not going home and just... Because then, being a trainee, I had to wash everyone's vehicle <laughs> they made when they came in from the field with a hose. We didn't have... <laughs> right, the power washers. We didn't have a power wash. We had a hose. <laughs> <laughs> and you were happy. I was not happy. No, I, mean, I, I know. It wasn't, I wasn't sad. No, I, I was you just... Uh, you got the first year, I would say, you're, you're so worried. I'm so worried about Spanish. I mean, I'm just mar barely making it through my six months. Yeah. And then you can't breathe because you know you have a 10-month coming on. Yeah. And everyone's telling you, at the, you go to the training at the, um, down in uh, Spring Valley. Uh-huh. And you go there That's and he'd say, the academy instructor told me, I don't think you're going to make it, Teresa. I just don't think you do it. I says, what do I need to do? And I went every day and I went and had after working, did remedios every day. Wow. And I passed. I don't know how, but I passed. But once that year was up, I just went, here, training, come here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Heck yeah, why not? But, uh, but you're, no, you, you just yeah. reminded me of the fact that 
you know, for back in those days and even when I came in, it wasn't just making it through the you could it wasn't just about making it through the academy. You had to go back home and make it through that uh, that uh, six and ten. Correct. And some people had to make a complete move without getting paid. You know, they had to pay their own move. Yeah. They had to. You know, I was lucky. I lived in Coronado. I got assigned to Campo, and I didn't get a choice. <laughs> yeah. There was no choice. I mean, I would have gone to Arizona if they told me or. But right now, the whole thing was, we were just getting hit so bad at the ports of entry in San Ysidro. People would walk on the, you know, in the middle of the street. That's why the signs came up, because too many people were getting ran over. Uh -huh. uh, we had, uh, I'd work with uh, the uh, Borstar, wait, was the REACT or Borstar? At the time, it, it, it was, re if you're talking about the response team, it was REACT. REACT. We got to go work with React, and we dress all in black, and we go to Imperial Beach, and we wait for Virginia Beach or Virginia Street, and they would come in the hundreds. It was so much fun. <laughs> you grabbed what you could. Those guys were so cool to work with. Yeah, yeah, and you just grabbed, and you had fun. And I think that was a, one thing I learned after, uh, as I got in my career, is to have a little bit of fun. And we did have fun at Campo. You know, I had my little click, not click, the boys I could hang with, maybe three of them, four of them. Yeah. And we go to the turd farm and we drink. And, uh. Choir practice? Choir practice, yeah. Oh. Uh. Or it'd be fun because you come in. We had one agent who would put beers in our, have it ready for us when we came in from shift. Because mainly you're talking a skeleton to three people on night or mids. Yeah. I'm trying to think, do we even have more than two shifts? I think we only had two shifts, days and mids. Oh. I'm, I can't, I'm, I can't, I'm really thinking that was how it was i'm not sure but anyways uh, he'd always have a big um cooler ready for us with beer in it and what he would do is he get he, he liked killing rattlesnakes so he'd roll them up like they're going ready to strike yeah. and he'd freeze them and he'd put them in your the the cooler the, the cooler. And so him and another agent would sit in the back of it and you'd say, get your beer. And you go get your beer. And then they'd rate you on. That's when, remember 10 came out, the movie 10? Yeah. Where they rated him? Well, they would rate us on how we reacted. <laughs> and I was pretty cool. Thank God I lived with my dad and brothers. But there was one guy from... Uh, Roberto Lopez from uh, Puerto Rico. He screamed, <laughs> tippy-toed. Oh, my God. I'll never forget that day. It was so funny. But also that same agent would go and put those in our fridge. Oh, jeez. And then one time, I'll never forget the story, where he put it in the back of his sedan. And at that time, they would take their cars over to the Shell station at Hakumba. Uh -huh. And there was the guy was going to change his tires and so he forgot he had the snake in the 
the trunk. And I guess the guy opened it and hit his head and knocked him out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Best one yet. So classic. Huh? Best one yet. Oh, that was classic. Oh my god. <laughs> so um after you um after you gra- you you passed your six and ten month, right? Because we're on pins uh-huh. and we're on pins and needles until we do all of us are. And exactly. um, did you end up working any special units or join any spe- any collateral units uh, as you went as you as you continued to work in Campo? I would go I would get detailed to prosecutions, uh-huh. where I learned so much from John Adams. Um, I learned prosecutions very well. Um, where else? I don't think I went on anything else. And, and how long was it before another female showed up at Campo? Were you still there when that happened? Yes, that was uh, 85. Okay. And that was... Uh, did Sonia show up before? Sonia, okay, 80, Sonia who? 85, Sonia, Sonia uh, well, her name Spalding name showed up. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's where the guys were trying to pit us against each other. Oh. And we would laugh because we got along. In fact, we went off duty. We went to Vegas and stuff. But they would. They would badmouth each of us to each other. That was, I don't know if that's just a thing to do, but they really did try pitting, you know, making, you know, saying one's better than the other, or yeah. blah, 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 finding the faults. Yeah. Then we got, um, then the Boulevard Station finally got Stacy in 1986. They became their own uh, entity. Is that Stacy Henry? Yes. Okay. Her name was Stacy Swarberg at the oh, time. At the time, yeah. Later on to become a pack at uh, El Cajon. Right. And Sonia ended up in El Cajon too, because uh, she was a Correct. she was a fantastic worker as well. Correct. I'm trying I to. I worked get her. with some great, you know, and they yeah. I consider them my friends. Absolutely, I've been. I'm trying to get Sonia uh, Spalding to do an interview as well, and I'm getting close, little by little. Cool. But um, yeah, and so you guys ended up working together for a while. And you um, were you intending when you came in? Was it your intention to eventually go through and start and then promote? No. <laughs> <laughs> so what? They, what happened? I know in in eighty nine the chief asked me to apply for a supervisor, and I made the decision that I wanted to. Uh, and I may have screwed my career, but I wanted to be with my be able to see my kid through high school yeah and she graduated in 1990 so um i know i also went to a party with a who turned out to be an a chief later on life and i remember him coming and sucking on my neck and me pushing him down on the ground and i'm sure that didn't help my career probably not well, what was I supposed to do? I mean, God, look at all this stuff going on. Yes, of course. I know it didn't help my career. I became the first women's program manager, but that wasn't till was I? A, I wasn't at Campo. I don't think. So when did you end up souping up? Uh, nineteen. Well, nineteen ninety-four. And you were still in Campo. No, I left Campo in 19, 
in 12 of 87. I went to Chula Vista. Ah, okay. I was, um, back then you had the O-Cores, and if you didn't fill them, they invented the um, 11s, GS 11s, in 87. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't put in your O-Cores, that's a lot of senior agents did not get an 11. In fact, there was someone who had less time than me who got an 11 in, at Campo. Ah. Because your senior agents did not fill out their oak course. They went on the next year to get them. But that first year, you know, when you hear people say, oh, you had to have done something or da-da-da, no one gets their 11 that quickly. Yes, we got, I got mine in four years. And it was just based on the timing hmm. of when they opened the GS-11s. And uh, so I went to uh, Chula Vista for six months. And then I got picked up as an intelligence agent with uh, San Diego Sector. All right. Yes. And that was mainly interviewing OTMs and statistics. Nothing like it is now. It was a small group of us, uh, maybe four agents and three secretaries. And what would that? What, what was that work? What was it like for you working there? I well, I wanted it. I was good at stats. Mm-hmm. Um, interviews. I handled mainly the. Uh, um, terrorist groups so that was I really I still enjoy that terrorist groups terrorist groups I got to look into the secret safe (laughs) I was the only one allowed in in my boss (laughs) and what was and and how did that work I mean I've never even heard of that well it was mainly just people that are terrorists and we had to make sure that people we interviewed that that was the whole purpose of like Chinese like we broke a I worked with a doing through my interviews I found a Chinese smuggling ring which ASU was working it and I gave them the information and they were able to bust this big ring that was my big accomplishment nice yeah that was pretty cool and so you worked with Intel would work with ASU and you know, give information out and did the statistics of the OTMs, the drug bust, mm-hmm. the uh, manpower. So I did that till uh, 19, I think it was 1983, I went to Brownfield because they were shutting it down. Okay. I worked at Intel, I'll tell you what was interesting there, is I worked with one agent who would always, um, oh, God, I hated this, uh, was it with his gun, he would, um, clean it, uh-huh. and then, uh, dry fire it, and I used to always complain, I just went to him and yelled at him, and yelled at me. he thought, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, well, the day I was off, Guess where it went? The shop went through to my office from him cleaning his gun. Are you kidding me? No. So that's why I was always a stickler. 
about your dry firing in offices. In fact, I dated a marshal who would do the same thing, and it drove me nuts. And guess what? He had a shot ring. I complained and complained to him all the time. And at the San Diego Marshal's office, uh, he was dry firing, and uh, it went through a wall. Jeez. So you, that's, I guess, through the uh, patrol and through your years, you develop why your pet peeves are. <laughs> I can imagine. I know, and I, and I think that I know guys at Elkhome maybe didn't understand it when I would preach stuff like this, but there was a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Sector Intel, Shula Vista, I just worked in the field with the guys. That was wonderful. Good good group of people. Um, you know, uh, yeah. and then I went to Brownfield, and that was a new experience. I worked with uh, good people like the Garveys and Mike Doolittle and um, Rick Barlow. And, oh, yeah, Rick Barlow, one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, and, and Baby Doc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, always one of my favorites. All the Giants. Not the Giants. He was always my heartthrob. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you made, you made your way through almost the entire sector from Campo to Chu. To Brownfield. Sector Intel. Sector Intel. El Cajon. And then I got um, the position, head position of sector vehicle seizures. Ah, okay. And that was my uh, greatest achievement. The, the one thing I loved more than anything because that was the only way you could hit their wallets. Yeah. Seizing vehicles or... Creating the warrant system where we could go seize vehicles, you know, just put something on their vehicle and just seize it from their home. See, I got a good rep with a judge because I started that and uh, that program, and he would just sign off. No questions asked, because he no questions be asked because you get the report where you then that prosecutions helped me to develop all this stuff. Very and nice. so vehicle seizures, I love more than anything. I had, uh, I was in charge of, I think of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I think 11 agents, and we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight secretaries, one of which was R.C. Martinez. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was, he was one that. of the secretaries? I love Huh? He was one of the secretaries, right? Yep. <laughs> he just retired too. Yes, he did. Yeah. And I consider him a friend forever. And so when you retired, did you retired out of sector or was it alcohol? Out of no, alcohol? and then after in, in, 2000, um, in 2000, a new law was passed. It's called CAFRA, C-A-F-R-A. Uh -huh. And it was regarding the forfeitures of vehicles, not the seizure, the forfeitures. But our chief bill, who's a ex attorney or whatever, decided um, well, we can't seize them. Hmm. And so we could have seized them. It was the forfeiture, and for the most part, and it was morally more of um, uh, more of 
rentals, you know, people would rent and smuggle. Mm -hmm. Well, we would just give those back anyways to the rental or the company. But the other people, they didn't ever petition. I'd say 95 of the people did never, never petition for their vehicles. So those would just get forfeited and go to the marshals. Yeah. You know, we could have been seizing, and I heard they're seizing again, but nothing like we did and what we could have kept doing. And so in, in 2001, and we weren't seizing, I, I asked to go back to El Cajon because I couldn't just sit there. So the job had changed for you? Oh, yeah. They had, well, they got rid of all the secretaries except, I think, one or two. The agents, there were only a few. Yeah. It just, they really took it away. And it was such a great thing. I remember uh, working with the marshals, working with the DEA, uh, working with the local police departments. Uh, the seizing was so, um, it was just a great thing to do. Yeah. And I still think it could be a great thing to do. Because I don't think anything's changed in seizure laws. I know CAFRA's still in effect, but who knows with the seizure laws. Yeah. So I was there 2007, or 90, 1997 to about 2002. And I took that job over from uh, Jim Henry. Mm. He got promoted. <clears throat> and I was on detail while I was at Brownfield to do sector vehicle seizures and I think that exposure and working with Louis Valderrama gave me the ability to take over that position because uh, I was very good at it. I was very good at, you know, taking care of, uh, I learned to do my prosecution paperwork. You know, I learned mm -hmm. to do my seizing paperwork and uh, getting warrants. You know, yes. I became educated through the years. Educated, yeah. Well, yeah. I met you when you were in El Cajon, and um, I have always said and maintained that, uh, you know, out of all the supervisors that you experience in your career, there's a handful of them that you remember specifically and specially, right? Because you always, you know, inherently, they make you feel like they got your back, like they're taking care of you, like they're looking out for you. And, uh, uh, you and I had had a few experiences. One in particular, when I accidentally sprayed an explorer with pepper spray, <laughs> and I thought I was going to lose my job, man. I thought it's, it's oh, over, no. man. When that guy gets over, but I, I ran to you, and I'm sitting there, up, you know, in a panic, and you're just just calm down. We're going to take care of it. Don't worry. And uh, and you took care of me. You took care of well, me. Well, you know, my theory was to be fair. Yeah. And and things happen. I mean, I remember when they came, you couldn't shoot, uh, you couldn't uh, discharge your weapon. And I remember one of the agents, I know exactly who he was, but he called me on the radio. We were working nights or mids. Yeah. And he he found a puppy that the, the Mexicans had broken all of its legs. And he, he wanted to put it out. And, but his question was, will I have to write a memo? Yeah. And I said, put it out. No, you don't. And this, I don't care. You know, put it out. That's common sense. Just put it down. That, that's ridiculous. That's extreme when you 
that agents waste their time doing memos. Yeah. The only time an agent did a memo is when they're consistently doing the same thing. Yeah. And they were still, they were agents that shouldn't have been in the patrol anyways. Yeah. But I also learned that not to put all my time into the bad agents or these agents that you can't get rid of no matter what you try. Yeah. Who shouldn't be in the patrol, period. And I also learned to give people a fair chance because I personally know how it felt to have, to come to a, a station. Well, from Brownfield, I I was, um, when I came to Elkhorn, and Stacy was my PI, no, she was not. It was, um, Daryl Griffin and Paul Blocker. Mm -hmm. But when she came to the station, and this is a friend of mine, she had told agents, uh, I was a EEO and a union... Uh, nightmare? Nightmare. Well, in, 90, in the 90s, when I got to Bullock, or Brownfield, I had a female agent. I'm telling you, my whole career, I always had outstanding ratings. My whole career. Yeah. I come in there, and that one year, this female is just like, I don't know. I didn't have the same taste in men, because that's what she liked to talk about. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just knew she was backstabbing. Anyway, she gave me an E. So I, uh, I wanted that change to an O. So then she produces all this paperwork saying um, it was a that I had not uh, did this or not done this. Well, you could see they were all on that yellow pad of paper where she had just sat there and had to produce something. Yeah. And I was able to show that the day she's writing me up, I was off. Because I'm not dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I, I, the, um, daily sheets. I pulled everything I had to show. And so... She had convinced, because she is well-liked still, people that I highly respected who knew me. But she had convinced them I was a troublemaker. Mm. And once you get and, that... And, and, that, and that's where I got people I highly respected. I no longer highly respect, because they didn't go based... I always went based on my observation based on my relationship yeah. with agents. I found people, when people badmouth an agent, uh, I know at Elkhorn there was one agent who wanted to go somewhere else and the other supervisor uh, told this this um, agent who's back east, uh, the supervisor had called him and he said, oh no, this guy wasn't, it wasn't good, you shouldn't hire him. So luckily, I talked to that same uh, supervisor, and I told him, no, he's a good, hard-working. Well, come to find out, the other agent said, to, the other supervisor said to me, I think he's gay. Well, I don't care if you're gay. Mm -hmm. If you're a good worker and you should deserve to go home or wherever station you want to. Yeah. You know, who are we to be judges and to build castles? Yeah. Right? That's, right. that's how I've always been. Well, and it's got me in trouble. Yes, uh, oh, that, well. that much we do, and that much I do remember. But um, I hate to do this because it's yes. been such a great we talk. We've, uh, but uh, we're we're going to wind down a little bit. And real quickly, okay. 
before we close down, um, any you advice? Yeah, I put all this on there. <laughs> as much of it as I can, for sure. But uh, any advice? Chocolate. Any advice for uh, female agents today? Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming um, from somebody. When I hear females complaining now, um, you need to stand up. Don't need to be running uh, to union or let the you're an adult. You can handle it. Um, just do your job. Yeah. And take the guidance from agents if they see something, but take it from the good guys, the yeah. hard workers. Don't someone who's sitting there whining and who doesn't even work. Don't take their what they have to say. Yeah, they're BS. Yeah, they, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're just there to make waves. So learn from the best and keep moving forward. Right, and there's so many good female agents, and I've worked with so many good females. I can only tell you the truth. I've only worked with one bad female agent. The rest are one have been wonderful. All right. Well, Milady, I, I wanted right, to say I, how much I love you, and I know there's a lot of us uh, that still see you on social media that love you as well, and they're going to love to hear this interview. So thank you right, so much for your time, and uh, I appreciate you. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. This concludes our interview with retired Supervisory Border Patrol agent Teresa Truax. I had no idea of her experiences as a young female agent in the patrol. But I do know that she was a great supervisor to us at the El Cajon Station, and we will always remember and appreciate that about her. A happy 45th anniversary to all our female agents who are true warriors and game changers, and the patrol would not be the same without you. Come browse through our Old Patrol HQ store at oldpatrolhq.bigcartel.com for some amazing products that you can wear proudly, honoring the history, heritage, and legacy of the patrol, with a few shenanigans along the way. If you listen on Apple or Google Podcasts, please give us a short but raving review and five stars so we can climb up the corporate food chain. Ain't no patrol like the old patrol. Honor first. Honor always.